I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Story time. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My dad and I went backpacking a few years back. We got to the trailhead later than we had planned and decided we were going to start the hike anyways. 
Four hours later the sun is going down and we still had over an hour left till we got to a suitable site to drop down. We're now hiking in the dark with our headlamps when we hear a low growl 20 or so feet off the trail from us. Then we heard something large moving through the underbrush and trees. We both looked at each other and basically ran up the trail as best we could in the dark on a rocky hill. It was 15 minutes before we stopped to catch our breaths. Never saw it but hearing it so close by gave me a shot of primal fear that I didn't know I had. New hunting camp, first year in, peak of the whitetail rut. And my dad has to head back early for work. I was 16 at the time and really wanted to stay and hunt. Friend of my dad offered to drive me back three days later. Sweet. That night the guys decide to watch the movie Congo. If you've never watched it, major premise of the movie is an expedition party getting torn to bits by genetically modified apes in the jungles of Africa. After the movie, my dad's buddy explains that he has the perfect spot for me to hunt tomorrow. It's a raised levee in the middle of a swamp. A natural funnel that should have plenty of deer crossing in the AM only issue is it's about a one quarter mile walk through waist deep water to get there. But he has a pair of chest waders I can borrow. With a smirk, he says. Unless you're too scared to hunt there after watching that movie. Of course, I'm not going to admit I'm freaked out a bit. So calmly say it's no issue. Next morning, with a smirk, he drops me off in the middle of the swamp. Tells me he'll be back to pick me up at 11 am. As the taillights disappear through the cypress trees, I contemplate just sitting down and hunting the road. That movie did mess me up, and trudging waist deep through this swamp following a questionable bright eye trail with my dim headlamp doesn't sound great. I muster up courage and start trudging in though. Just as I'm about halfway in, waist deep, every step a challenge due to sucking mud. I hear the most ungodly noise. My mind must be playing tricks on me. There are no monkeys in Alabama. Another hundred yards in, and I hear it again. This time closer and very clear. My god. It sounded like a gorilla. I'm now doing my best to run through sucking mud. Gorilla noises coming from the trees all around me. I'm literally yelling, there aren't monkeys in Alabama. Over and over at the top of my lungs. Just as quickly as the noises came, they left. I did eventually find the stand. The next four hours were me clutching my rifle, safety off, drawing on every little noise I heard in the woods. Contemplating my sanity over what I'd just experienced. Honestly, the walk back through the swamp might have been worse, whole time scared out of my mind. Wondering if I should even speak about what I experienced. I meet them on the road at 11, instead of it just being the one guy it's actually everyone in camp in one truck. I didn't say anything, but the look on my face must have conveyed my experience. They immediately start laughing their asses off, and ask to hear my story. As I start telling the story through their belly laughing, I am now convinced they played a trick on me and were hiding in the trees waiting to scare me. I'm telling them they should be glad I didn't blow one of their heads off. The truth is actually much stranger. Yes, it was a setup from the get-go. But it wasn't them in the trees. History is a bit murky on how they got there. Some say it was released pets, 
Some say it was a previous landowner who released them on purpose, but there was actually a troop of F. Howler monkeys that lived in that swamp. They had discovered this on accident, but had been waiting to pull this prank on someone like me for years. They still laugh about it every time they see me. I agree it was a good prank. Although it messed me up for a while. Go watch a YouTube video on what howler monkeys sound like, now imagine yourself in a swamp, up to your waist. Feet stuck in mud. Mind fresh with vivid images of gorillas ripping people's heads off. In the 90s, I was on a week-long backpacking trip with my uncle in the Colorado high country. He was a professional rock climbing trail guide at the time, so he knew his stuff while off the grid. The second day in, we were following some old trail that hadn't been groomed in years, and came across the outskirts of some random commune deep in the woods. We knew there were people there because we could see campfires and laughing or talking in the distance. My uncle immediately freaks out, tells me to keep quiet, and then made us backtrack nearly five miles, and then around. It was the first and only time I've actually seen him panic off the grid. Afterward, he lectured me that it was some kind of small sect or cult that had a rep for being very territorial in the area at the time, and was known to shoot at trespassers without provocation. I recently had my very first sighting of a cryptid. I was working at a national forest as a camp host and got the job temporarily full-time. I was to replace a maintenance worker for a couple of weeks while he went away on vacation. In the meantime, I got up bright and early to go out on a run, come back to the cabin I currently live in at the campground, and got dressed for work. A couple of days before the incident at hand, I ran into a young woman as she was leaving her campsite. She said that she had just arrived and woke up to a strange noise in the middle of the night. I find myself driving down a lower road used for maintenance workers, and I approached a clearing with a dirt berm on one side. It is there that I hit something with my truck, and it nearly threw me out of my seat. Once I regained composure, both mentally and physically, I hopped out of the truck to see what it was. What appeared before me was not man-made, at least not by human hands. Jumping back into my truck, I did a quick three-point turn and went back to camp. It was there that I grabbed my rifle from the cabin door, strapped it into the gun rack in the truck, and drove onto the dirt berm. As I got out of the truck, at about 100 yards from where I hit it, whatever it was was now standing up on two legs with its arms held straight up in the air like it was reaching. My first thought was that this was a werewolf or some sort of Bigfoot. I did what anybody would do in this situation, I raised my rifle and fired one round directly at the thing's head. The bullet hit true, right between the thing's eyes, killing it instantly. Standing there for a few seconds, looking around, thinking just how lucky I was that nobody else had come across this thing, only to get back in my truck and go about my day. That night, after work, when I got back to camp, I took a shower before dinner. The next day, when I got to work, my co-worker came to ask me if anybody else saw what I hit the other day. Of course, I asked why he wanted to know. He told me an officer from the sheriff's department stopped by and was asking if anybody had gone to that clearing and hit anything with their vehicle. 
When I told him about my incident, he told me he would talk to the officer for me. I have a bad feeling about this. I've been a hunter all my life. So it was supposed to be a routine grouse hunt, just me and the tranquility of nature, but as I ventured deeper into the woods, the atmosphere changed. The trees grew denser, and sunlight struggled to penetrate the canopy, leaving me in an eerie, darkened realm. My instincts urged me to turn back, but something pushed me forward. Curiosity, perhaps, or a hint of excitement in exploring the unknown. With each step, I felt the forest closing in around me, its silence broken only by the occasional rustle of leaves or the distant cry of a bird. Little did I know that my journey was about to take a surreal and terrifying turn. As I followed the winding path, I suddenly caught sight of a massive figure in the distance. It was like nothing I had ever seen before. Towering at least nine feet tall, with wide shoulders, and muscles rippling beneath its stringy hair, the creature moved with a grace that defied its size. Its long arms swayed rhythmically, and its powerful thighs propelled it forward, like an ancient predator prowling the shadows. Trying to comprehend what I was witnessing, my mind fumbled for words to describe the monstrosity before me. A half-gorilla and half-neanderthal man-type animal was the closest I could come to describing its unsettling features. It had hardly any discernible neck, and its head tapered to a cone-like point. The creature's presence exuded raw power and primal intelligence, making me acutely aware of my own vulnerability. Fear and adrenaline surged through me, but my hunter's instincts kicked in. My heart pounded as I aimed my rifle at the creature, steadying my breath to take the shot. I had to protect myself, but more importantly, I needed to know what this creature was, where it came from, and what it meant for the natural order of things. With a deep breath, I pulled the trigger. The shot echoed through the forest, and I watched the bullet hurtle towards the unknown beast. For a split second, it seemed like my bullet had found its mark, but my hope was crushed as I saw the projectile bounce harmlessly off the creature's skin. It was as if the skin was made of some impenetrable armor, rendering my weapon useless. The creature didn't even flinch. It stared at me with eyes that seemed to pierce my very soul, but before I could react further, it vanished into the forest, blending seamlessly with the shadows. I stood there, dumbfounded and perplexed, unable to process what had just transpired. Nothing in my hunting experience could explain what I had encountered. Was this some ancient, mythical creature long believed to be extinct, or had it emerged from the depths of the earth itself, a harbinger of a new and untamed era? As I made my way back to civilization, the forest felt different, changed. The woods that had once been familiar and comforting now held secrets that sent shivers down my spine. I shared my bizarre encounter with fellow hunters and researchers, but most dismissed it as a figment of my imagination or an exaggeration. I've done multiple tours to Iraq as of now and served in the last Gulf War in Afghanistan. I've seen all kinds of combat up close, but this is an extremely personal story about my own life that I've never told anybody in as much detail. I'm currently in the reserve, so being called up is not an issue, but this is something that I kind of hesitate to tell. 
I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Brian. I'm currently 54, a U.S. Army National Guard veteran. Previous to the Iraqi war, I was in active duty for roughly five years until I was discharged with an injury. I am also a former U.S. Army Ranger who has seen over 18 years of active duty in the military alone, five of which were in Afghanistan. I probably should have been more specific. The rest were spent deep in the jungle in jungle warfare training, as well as engineer courses to improve various infrastructures all throughout the world. I will be sharing a story with you guys that I've never told anybody. It's not just a ghost story, it's something much more. The story takes place in 2002, I was stationed in Iraq. I had deployed alongside my brother, who was also serving in the US Army Infantry Unit that took part in the initial invasion of Iraq. The majority of my unit was stationed there, we were working on rebuilding the local structures and bringing order to the cities. It was a relatively quiet tour, but we weren't without our share of action. I was involved in several engagements with the enemy and even a few with what I can only describe as unknown humanoids. My brother's unit was stationed in the city of Tikrit, which was being used as a base for training new Iraqi soldiers. These guys on the ground were doing some very important work, and they needed a place to stay where they could rest and train. I was brought into my unit because I was a demolitions expert with an additional engineering background. My sergeant had asked me to come in because they needed somebody who could blow up buildings while simultaneously rebuilding them metaphorically, of course, not literally. So I was brought on the team where I was given a special set of engineering tools to meet the needs of my new unit. After much discussion, I was told when we were done on our task, I would be transferred to Tikrit as a permanent member of my brother's unit. So one day, as I was working on the various infrastructure at the city hall building, waiting for my brother's unit to arrive, something happened. I don't know how to describe it accurately, so I'll just come right out with it. These flying entities, which reminded me of angels, descended down upon the town. The entities were looking something like large eight-foot-tall humanoids. They looked like beings wrapped in garbs and had large wings. It appeared as if they were looking for something. I just tried my best to ignore it as I could and focus on my job. The worst thing you could do in the military is become distracted. Kind of impossible with this happening. A lot of the people were, of course, gasping, but many of them were not even phased. They didn't even just descend down and start hovering, they flew in but were very visible. Like I said, they were looking for something. I'll be as basic about it as I can be, they looked like winged humanoids. I just continued to try and focus on my work since I had a job to do. I was on the roof of the city hall building when you're on the top of any building, you can see for miles. I was working on an antenna tower when I heard somebody yelling at me in the street. I was a level above the streets, so people normally don't look up to find you unless they need something. He waved me down, and when I get to the edge, he tried telling me something in Arabic. I can only say a few words like knowing yes in Arabic, so I just continued to try and climb down the ladder. As I got closer, he began speaking in English, in an American accent, actually, and he said, I know why they're here. Who? I asked him and tried to act naive and into it. He began telling me that the people of this town were going to die, that they had brought this upon themselves.
He said they were an aberration, and we should stop living in sin. I asked him what he meant, and he told me that these beings were sent down to annihilate us because we had let ourselves go, we had allowed things that shouldn't have been allowed, and we need to put it into it. I couldn't understand what was happening. He then said he would be able to help me escape, but I had to go with him now. I figured at this point, things were getting a little crazy with everything happening, so I continued to try and ignore it all. These figures had disappeared to another section of the city, and the man who was yelling at me had now disappeared. Other soldiers were talking about the sightings amongst themselves, but I tried my best to pay no attention to any of this and just continue to follow my orders. I was staying at my brother's unit since he had chosen for me to come in and train with his unit. They were all stationed in a nearby city, so they knew it very well and were able to guide me. I told my brother what had happened that day, he didn't seem surprised. I asked him what he thought those beings were, and he said they're called jinn. They disguise themselves as angels and trick many of the men around there. They are like genies, but not in the form of humans and bottles like many people think. They are entities that reside in another realm and can only interact with us when they choose to do so, taking on a physical manifestation. They sometimes bring messages from the future. He told me there were two other jinn that lived in the area. These are demonic beings that can bring terrible wrath upon mankind. They only take physical form when they have something to do. They're able to control and play with the human mind. They are not to be taken lightly. I couldn't believe what was happening, nothing made sense. I was just simply trying to do my job, and now I've been dragged into this whole strange alien conspiracy thing that did not even make any sense. Now, what was I supposed to do? Keep doing my job and not saying anything? Well, to make a very long story short, after returning from the tour, I just felt different. Like I knew things that others didn't. I'm unsure of how to describe this feeling inside of me, I've lived with it for years now, and of all my time serving, this was the only one that really reached into the left field for me. Honestly, I never got a conclusive identity on whatever it was I saw, so sharing it actually might help with that. This was about a year old, late August 2022, and I was fishing on Cold Lake, right on the border between Alberta and Saskatchewan. I had one of my most productive fishing days ever there, and kept a few walleye to cook for dinner, since I bought the tags for them. I tented on the north end of the lake, east of the North Bay cabin, since I don't really like campgrounds much. It was probably about 5 to 6 p.m. when I set up camp and got the fire going. I do remember I still fished from the bank for an hour or so until I eventually got dinner going. During that period is when I remember first hearing a lot more noises out of the tree line than before, not anything out of the ordinary, mostly just birds and the occasional squirrel. Eventually I started to get the feeling of something watching me, which actually got me a bit more worried than what it usually be as my first thought, albeit not the most rational one, was a cougar. I know what it feels like to be watched by one, it's uncomfortable to say the absolute least, and a terrifyingly surreal experience at worst. Each time I looked back, there wasn't anything watching me, that I saw. Eventually I lost interest, and began supper, which is when the sounds of the forest largely stopped. Things felt. 
Cold, dead. The forest felt dead. Now even more on guard about a possible cougar or bear, I moved away from the tree line and closer to the shore, as there was a bit of flat ground forming, almost like a beach. I didn't have a firearm at the time, but I did have a can of bear spray on my chest, which moved to my hand. There still wasn't anything visible through the tree line, but the faint sound of what could be footsteps cut through the silence of the forest. In all reality, it was less footsteps and more the sound of an animal moving through the brush that was heard. Weirdly enough it sort of relaxed me, as a cougar likely wouldn't be so carelessly loud, at least it did for a moment. Aware that I was rather vulnerable in my position, I did begin backing up my stuff, thankfully my tent wasn't set up yet, back in my bag and got near the kayak. What I saw when I looked back up at the tree line not even 20 feet in front of me, however, was likely the most terrifying, yet uniquely beautiful moment of my life. Standing upright, half behind a tree, was a tall, maybe 7 feet, dark humanoid. Thing. Vaguely like a Sasquatch, but much thinner, closer to the proportions of a human covered in reddish-brown hair or fur. All I could see was its body above the waist, though its arms seemed to extend further down. I couldn't make out much features, though the eyes appeared vaguely yellowish. Oddly enough, after the initial shock wore off, it didn't seem threatening, if anything I want to say it was. Curious? What I'm about to say next defies all common logic, all human reason, but as someone standing face to face with what could have been death itself, I raised my arm in the air. The best way I could describe this scene is if anybody has ever watched the fantastic Mr. Fox, the scene at the end with a wolf. That's the closest thing I could compare it to. The creature didn't come any closer, nor did it make a sound, but instead oddly attempted to mimic me raising its long, thin arm in the air, before setting it back down and walking back into the tree line. What I saw that day, the creature I witnessed, led me to reevaluate my opinions towards these animals, that they weren't just animals. These are intelligent creatures, and the time it took to kayak back to civilization immediately afterwards, and the time since then, has only reaffirmed my belief in that. Of all the encounters people have had with what could be a Sasquatch, I'm glad mine became almost a positive memory. Whatever I saw that day left an impression on me, human, Sasquatch, whatever. I went to college in the prairie country of Minnesota. There wasn't a whole lot of public ground, but there were a few pretty large swamps that kept people out. Scouting the edge of the corn in October I found an absolutely torn up corner of the field next to one of these swamps, great rubs everywhere, and a trail straight through the marsh leading back to a strip of trees on the only high ground around. I came back with my waders and a few climbing sticks the next week, and after about a half mile walk through knee to chest deep swamp, made it out and up into a medium sized oak for an evening sit. Saw a monster buck, but that's another story. Shooting time came and went, and just as I'm lowering my bow down I hear the most blood-chilling sound I've heard in the woods. I can only describe it as a mountain lion crossed with someone being murdered, along with growling, hissing, and crashing. It first started about 50 yards off, 
and of course, as darkness fell the sound inched closer and closer to my tree. At this point I'm losing it trying to convince myself the odds of a cougar this far south are pretty slim, but that didn't help thinking about what the alternatives might be. Well, it finally reached my tree, and I was able to light it up with my phone flash. Last week I decided to go camping at a nearby national park. I'm an experienced camper and I had camped this particular spot dozens of times. I parked in the designated parking spot for campers and grabbed my gear. I headed off into the wilderness. I normally like to get away from people. I can cover 20 miles in a day, but I don't normally do that every time. I had been walking for about 5 hours, so I was a 5 hour hike from my car. I knew I was far from the normal tourists and family gatherings. That was my intention. It was close to sundown and was starting to get dark. Walking along the trail in the forest, it gets pitch black really quickly. I had not seen another person for a few hours. I had a pretty good idea that I was alone, and the chances of coming across another camper were small, as late as it was and as far off as I was. I was walking to where I was going to set up my tent for the night, and I could only see about 10 feet in front of me. And it was getting darker by the minute, eventually it would be pitch black. There are no lights out there off the grid. Normally the only light is from your fire, or flashlight, or cell phone. As I was walking, I heard what sounded like footsteps coming just beyond my available light, off in the trees about 40 yards away. I stopped to listen and try to figure out what it was. I stood there scanning the distance, but the noise had stopped. I then spotted what looked like a dark figure standing behind, or next to a tree. I couldn't tell which. Whatever it was, was just standing there. I couldn't make out the shape very well, so I thought it was a deer. I stood there quiet, looking at it. I have to admit. Being alone and so far from any help, I was a little spooked. I've heard stories of murderers who attack unsuspecting campers or hikers in some national parks, because of how vast the area is and how vulnerable the people are, being far away from civilians. I stood there for a few minutes, scared that it was going to start coming towards me. I was not sure what it was, I didn't know if it was a wild animal, those can attack humans too. I decided to turn around, keeping my eyes on the mysterious dark figure. I was scared that it was going to follow me. I knew I couldn't walk all night five hours back to my car in the dark, I was tired, and I didn't want to make any light. My plan was to stay quiet and lay on the ground until dawn. I would sleep if everything was kosher. I walked about a football field away, until I could not see it, and unrolled my sleeping bag. I laid there looking in that direction and listening. About 45 minutes went by and I heard the footsteps in the distance. My heart began racing because I could not see anything at this point. I didn't know if it was an animal. Whatever it was would take a few steps and stop, take a few steps and stop, over and over. I couldn't see but from the direction of the noise, whatever it was walked to my side, about 15 yards away, then crossed in front of me, then stopped. It was very close. My heart was beating so fast. I was sure it could hear me breathe. It kept going as it crossed in front of me and walked further away. Whatever it was had come very close to me. 
I laid there too scared to move. I couldn't hear anything. For all I knew, it was standing still right by me. I heard no noises, no human sounds or animal, only the sound of leaves and sticks being walked on. From the time that it crossed in front of me and headed off away from me, and the time I couldn't hear anything, I managed to get my nerves enough to get up and keep walking back to my car. I did not hear or see anything since hearing it come close to me as it crossed my path and head off in the other direction. I made it to my car and there were other cars, the sun was close to coming up and I fell asleep in my car. I could hear people talking and kids laughing as I slept, so I knew it was okay. I know not any blood and guts, but still very creepy, I still don't know what it was. Could have been an animal. I'm just glad that it didn't find me. When I was 10 or 11, I was sitting at the top of a berm alone overlooking a beautiful valley, I must have sat there for a few minutes in the tall grass soaking it up, I panned my head to the left slowly and roughly 75 meters away, I could see the ears, eyes and snout of a dogman sitting in the grass, looking right back at me. I darted back to safety as fast as I could, but when I got there I realized that the cougar didn't give chase, it must have just been soaking up the scenery as well. I was working in the Magneti Mirelli facility in Pulaski, Tennessee late evening. The date was January 16, 2016. I walked to the restroom near my work area. Upon entering the employee entrance, make a left turn in the first hallway, go through the next set of double doors, and turn right until you see a heavy steel door. I walked to the restroom and no one was there. In preparation for going back to the floor, I was washing my hands. That's when I felt someone watching me. I turned to look at a shiny silver baseball cap that was flat on top. I thought it was a ghost trying to see me and jumping back quickly with the tip of the brim exposed. My eyes caught sight of a man wearing a silver suit jacket, trousers, gloves and low-top converse-like shoes made of light gray silver shades. His eyes did not blink. He quickly turned his face in the corner of the bulkhead and was afraid, quivering as I looked at him four feet away. I said, I didn't mean to frighten you but. I'm about to leave and it's alright, I'm shy too. I'm about to be done so I can get out of your way. I walked back to wash my hands. So he peeked. I thought he must really be ridiculed and humiliated by some of the other employees, but why is he working here if so? I have never seen him on this shift and didn't hear the big heavy steel door open with the machine's noise. He was not there when I walked in. He was not a ghost and intelligently moved. He made scuff sounds with his clothing touching the wall and was a solid flesh being. Then I said, I'm leaving now so the restroom is all yours. At a distance of about 11 feet I walk toward the bulkhead to start my way out. Then another employee opens the heavy steel door and the human-like entity darts from behind the wall and slides for a split second. He looks at me up and down and at my face nervously, as if to say you are not supposed to see me. He had long pointed ears and a thin bony pushed up nose and no hair around the cap edges. There was no emblem on any clothing. He quickly swung his head around to see if the employee had seen him yet. I saw a portal opening as he took those few steps between the urinal and the first toilet wall.
He ducks his head slightly and leaps in to disappear. There's no way I can take this truth and the unknown to my grave. On a trail in the Angeles National Forest with a friend, about a mile and we hadn't seen anyone else since we entered. While rounding what we thought would be a secluded corner my friend pulled out a joint and went to light up, the noise of the lighter sparking caused something up the trail to turn around quickly. I couldn't tell what it was right away because the lighting was dappled from trees above and it was colored the same as the trail and rock. I grabbed my friend's arm and quietly said stop, stand up, don't turn around, walk backward slowly. About 30 feet in front of us was a cougar. Easily bigger than any dog I've ever seen, save a Great Dane or Bernese, but the musculature on it was otherworldly compared to any dog. It wasn't crouched like it was going to come for us, it was turned halfway with its back arched, the way a housecat sizes up another housecat before they fight. We backed up staring at the thing for what felt like forever, but was only probably three to four seconds before it realized we weren't coming towards it anymore and turned tail. It bounded up what I thought was a sheer 20-foot cliff with such ease it made my mind truly spin at the power of nature and thankful I wasn't asked to test it. We speed walked back to the trailhead with our heads on such a swivel they rightly should have popped off. I was in Fort Lewis, Washington during officer candidate school. After a long day of patrols in the pines, my platoon had set up a cigar-shaped outpost and hunkered down for the night. I had second watch with my buddy Brian from Texas. We had set up a defensive position about 10 meters of the tip of the outpost and set up our M60. Our position was hunkered on the edge of this timberline that overlooked a meadow that was about 1,000 meters wide by 200 meters or so deep. The meadow then was bordered by another thick line of timber. Now, I must preface. We were in training and going to perform a raid on a simulated enemy village the next day. Our weapons were loaded with blanks and we all had blank firing adapters on the muzzles. How the training worked is there were volunteers from other local army units who would play OPFOR and react to your presence accordingly with simulated gunfights, ambushes, reactions to contact, indirect fire, etc. Brian and I were fully expecting to get attacked that night by the OP4. This was a common tactic to hit when trainees were tired and visibility was poor. However, that night was a full moon and Brian and I had snuck ground coffee into our pockets for later consumption. Our meadow was lit up by the glow of the moon, we had perfect visibility of the entire field of fire. Our defensive position was seemingly impregnable, we had overwatch, we had cover and concealment, and most importantly, we were wide awake. We were ready for anything the OPFOR threw at us. At about 1 in the morning a low fog rolled in blanketing the meadow. The crisp night air punctuated the clarity of the moonlight. Brian and I were watching the meadow when he tapped my shoulder. He whispered in my ear. Do you see that? He pointed his finger out to the opposing tree line, where we could see slight movement along the line. I squinted my eyes and could make out shadowy figures slowly advancing towards our position. Brian pushed the safety off the M60 and I hunkered down behind my rifle to get a better look. We counted five, no, three. No, 
maybe just four figures seemingly gliding out of the timber and onto the meadow. They were hunched over and slowly creeping towards us. The shadows of the trees still obscured the details of the figures. We were sure the OPFOR were conducting a raid on us and they wanted to maybe take it easy on us, but to cross an open field was ludicrous and poor form. It was just too easy. Didn't these soldiers know they were about to be illuminated perfectly by the light of the full moon and then would be easy targets for two OCS candidates? We watched the figures get closer to the light. Only maybe 50 more meters till the shadows ended and we would have positive target ID and would engage. Brian whispered over to me. Where are their weapons? Brian was right. They appeared to be unarmed. Well, wait. Were they? They've got something in their hands. Is that a stick? I hissed back. We waited to see what these OPFOR had. The OPFOR finally crossed the shadows and entered the lit up meadow, less than 100 meters from our position according to our sector sketch. The figures appeared in full visibility of us. My eyes grew big as I realized what I was seeing. The figures were dressed in dusky brown loose-fitting outfits, and had what appeared to be small spears and axes. What was most unnerving was their faces were painted bright red and white, which glowed almost fluorescently under the full moon. I sucked in air. Brian screamed contact. And let loose with the pig. The machine gun fire ripped through the calm of the still night air. The muzzle flash blinding us both. I lined up my sights on my rifle and fired several shots in succession of the M60. After about 20 seconds or so, we quit firing and surveyed the area. The meadow was empty. The figures were gone. Nowhere to be seen. Brian and I were both shaking. We looked around. No enemy soldiers to be seen, and perhaps even more strange, none of our platoon or the cadre had woken from the cacophony of gunfire. Brian and I hunkered down closer and waited for the inevitable second wave. The fog rolled out. What was that? I hissed. I don't know Brian said. We waited for them to come back. They never did. Our watch ended after another hour of being frozen to our guns, eyes peeled on the meadow. We tried to sleep unsuccessfully. The next morning we asked if anyone heard any gunfire or commotion the night before. No one heard a thing. Had a truck pull into my deserted primitive camping area on national forest land around 2 a.m. and stop right next to my tent. Now, in context, I was camping alone, this was a designated camping area, and I was the farthest back from the road, a good 200 feet. I had no fire going. Still visible from the road, though. Anyone just wanting to turn around could have done so right at the front. Around 2 a.m., this truck comes in, drives all the way back to my tent, and stops right next to it, just sitting there. I could tell the type of vehicle by the silhouette its headlights cast through my tent. There was absolutely no legitimate reason for anyone to do that. So I'm there, in my small A-frame tent which I'd made the bad judgment of setting up with its door towards the road, thus providing me no cover to exit. And all I can do is sit there in my tent with my AR-15 at the ready, freezing my butt off in 39 degree weather because I had to crawl out of my sleeping bag and was just in my underwear, 
knowing if they mean harm and there's more than one person I'm almost certainly dead because I'm a sitting duck. Note, I had the AR-15 in the tent with me because it was bear country. Fortunately for me, they probably decided there wasn't anything worth stealing and left after a few minutes without getting out of their vehicle. All my valuable stuff was locked up in my SUV and all I had visible was some cookware and a small camp stove. I learned a few things from that. 1. Get a bigger tent that I can more easily move around in and it's quicker to get out of, and 2. Always set your tent up with the door facing away from the road to provide some degree of concealment if you need to exit. Remember, folks, not all predators walk on four legs. Some walk on two. We live in New Brunswick, Canada. On July 22, 2023 in the early morning, we were awoken by our six-month-old daughter crying. We heard this on the baby monitor in our room. As usual, we got up to check on him, me to grab her and console her, my wife to prepare a bottle for her. I picked her up and as I left the nursery, I looked down the stairs to my right, through the garage window. I saw a tall, thin, black entity. I know I saw it and as I looked at it it darted inhumanly fast out of sight. I walked to the room with our daughter, my wife had the bottle ready, and I tried to get the dog to leave the room with me. He was too scared to leave the room which is unusual. I eventually coaxed him to follow me. As soon as we left the room, the dog tucked its tail between its legs, and headed to the desk in the living room. It stayed under and trembled. I would dismiss this as my mind playing tricks on me. However, when I was 19 and I am 36 now, I had an experience with a tall slender black being, which has haunted me ever since. I don't talk about it as people judge quickly and won't believe. I used to live and work in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, at Walmart. I also worked at a popular bar or restaurant. Needless to say, I worked a shift in the city until midnight at Walmart. The store was four city blocks from the residence where I was staying. If you have ever worked there you punch your SIN number into a computer at the back of the store. This starts your shift. I punched out after the shift and walked home. It was dark in the city but with the lights you could see very well. I walked south two blocks and then cut through the parking lot. When I reached the sidewalk again, I noticed an eerie lack of light, took two steps, and heard a metallic sound. I looked around feeling strange and noticed the city lights were missing. I could not see the store. There was only blackness. Then I heard a metallic cling twice from behind me. I spun around quickly to see an alien gray in color with a triangular face, and black eyes. I was not panicked and said hi. The alien quickly shot out of its arm and touched me with a finger on my chest. I was not scared at this point. As the finger touched me there was a strong electric charge I could feel. This charge paralyzed me and I felt forced fear. Every nerve ending in my body reverberated with this shock. The fear I experienced did not come from me but felt forced, and it was 1000 times stiflerable than any I had ever endured. The fear was so intense that my heart pounded instantly. I had to focus quickly and steadily on slowing my pulse as I didn't think my heart could sustain my life otherwise. The next thing I knew I woke up on a metallic rectangular table, 
with six seven to eight foot tall thin black beings standing around me. And oh my god, one had its hand inside me. It felt like it tore me apart. The pain I remember, and the forced fear are still there. I am paralyzed, trying desperately to move. The entity towering above me passed through my entire body. It felt like it tore me apart and put me back together, unimaginable pain. I blacked out. The next thing I know, I wake up. It's all black and I'm on a metallic floor. I hear clinging to the floor. I see four of these tall black entities. They kick me, hurting me more. I try to move but I'm still paralyzed, fear running through every nerve ending in my body. I can't fight it, it's almost electrical. I feel like I'm going to die here. I don't want to die here. No dear God no. I grow angry as I get beat. I look in my mind and struggle with all I have trying to move to do anything. I force a little movement, I raise an arm, but my body is still isn't cooperating. It takes everything I have but damn it I'm dying here fighting. The rest of me cannot move as I swing, and I hit one of the entities, causing the fear to become even stronger, and the paralysis to become even worse. My body becomes limp, trapped in my body scared and unable to get up, I black out. The only thing I remember next is waking up in bed at home, trembling and convulsing uncontrollably, completely paralyzed and suffering the forced fear. I want to move, but I can't. The pain in my heart is unbearable. My heart beats like it's about to explode, my body feels like it's vibrating from my heart beating so fast. My focus is on preventing death with all I have. Slowing down my heart helps me calm it. I try to move, but it feels like 4 hours. God only knows. I'm still paralyzed, still in that damned fear. Finally I broke free. I walk upstairs. My mom looks shocked to see me, explaining to me I was absent for three days. Thought I was at a friend's. In my mind I missed no time. I thought I had a nightmare. I told myself I had a dream. Not so lucky. I checked the computer at work and it showed I was there. No one at work recalls me being there. They told me I had missed my shift. I had no memory for three days, what has the power to do this? The only thing that proved I wasn't insane was the computer. My memory is absent for a day. I saw that damnable thing again tonight. I loaded the guns and waited for daylight. I last saw it when I was 19, and I am now 36 years old. My memories of it used to be so awful that I'd remember pieces over the years. I would wake up paralyzed in sweat, and terrified. I fought the fear in my mind until I could remember and not enter into convulsions, still function and still move. I would have dismissed what I witnessed tonight but I've seen it before. No one believes, no one cares. Not sure why they came back, but I felt I needed to write this. This incident involved my fiancé in April, 2011. To this day she refuses to talk about it, but I decided to post it here to see what others can get out of it. We then lived in Bangor, Maine. It was around 10.30 PM that evening. I was on a late shift at work and she was home alone with our cat in our apartment. She said she read while the cat slept on her lap. A moment later, the cat stood up and stared intently at the outside door. 
He then mewled and scampered into the bedroom. He had never acted like that before so she assumed it was just another weird thing cats do. Just as she got comfortable again, the doorbell rang. She thought it was strange that someone would want to visit at that time of night. She got up and peeked through the hole, but saw nothing. So she turned away from the door when there were three loud knocks. She was immediately alarmed, but curiosity took the best of her and she cracked the door to see who was there. She saw a boy, around 11 or 12, though short, standing there. She opened the door to ask what he wanted. She assumed that this child had either gotten locked out of another apartment or asked for help. That's when he looked up at her, and she noticed his eyes. The light from the apartment spilled out into the hallway, affirming his black eyes. She claimed she was paralyzed by shock as the child demanded entry. By that time, the cat had come out of the bedroom and lay on the floor behind her, ears folded back and hissing. She said she felt compelled to say yes but as she stared into those coal black eyes she suddenly slammed the door and locked the deadbolt. She claimed that she listened to the child's footsteps in the hallway, but heard nothing. After several terrifying minutes, she peeked out the door and the child was gone, or disappeared. She said she had never been so scared in her life. She thought the cat's hissing interrupted her paralysis, allowing her to regain her thoughts and quickly close the door. She never discusses it, though I'm sure she wonders what may have happened if she had let the black-eyed boy into the apartment. Every town has its urban legend. Bigfoot, Mothman, Dogman, and of course, the occasional ghost story. Such is the case for the town of Wintermill. Along the northern border of the town lies the Sherman Lake. Or as it's been called lately, the Lonely Skaters Lake. The story begins with a young woman with hair like golden silk. She was elegant, graceful, and a goddess on the ice. Every winter when the lake froze over, she was the first to put on her ice skates. Her agility and skill was so great, that any onlooker would be stilled into silence. Her movements caught the sunlight just right, sending beams glistening off her golden hair and silk white tights. She was preparing herself for the Winter Olympics, and dreamed of that golden medal around her neck. So she practiced, and practiced, and practiced. Every winter she was out on the ice, and her skills grew ever greater. One year there was a warm winter. Weeks went by without the temperature dropping long enough for the lake to freeze. The woman waited impatiently, ticking down the days till spring and growing desperate as it approached. Finally, on a chilly winter night, the temperature dropped enough for the lake to freeze, and out she went. She didn't often skate at night, but having missed so many days she was desperate. She slid and glided along the ice, and silver moonlight danced off her yellow hair and sharpened skates. Unknown to her, she was being watched. From the shores of the lake stood a man, many think to be a scorned lover. He put on his own pair of skates, and went out to her. She was so focused on her routine, she didn't notice his approach. She only became aware of his presence when his hands went around her waist. He skated in sync with her, lifting her and twirling her around as they danced on the ice. No one knows what was said, but that she turned him down once again, and for the last time. He had his hands on her dainty hips, skating behind her. 
red flashed before his eyes, and he lifted one foot. With glistening steel, the man swiped the bottom of his skate against her heels, slashing both of them. The woman cried out, falling to the icy ground and screaming in pain. Her Achilles tendons were slashed wide open, and blood stained her white skates and tights. The heat from her blood proved too much for the recently frozen ice, and it melted beneath her. Down she was sucked into the blackness of the lake, her voice crying out in large shimmering bubbles. The last thing she saw was the silhouette of the man against the silver moon. Since then, and for every winter yet to come, when the lake freezes over, some say you can catch a glimpse of the once talented young skater. She glides on the ice as a shimmering white silhouette, the moonbeam still dancing off her. But where she skates she leaves a long trail of shimmering red, melting the ice wherever she goes. You can sometimes still hear her screams, before she disappears below the ice in a cloud of red and white smoke. I needed to tell someone about this, mostly to get it off my chest but also because, as screwed up as the situation is, it's one of the best stories I've ever heard. I attend a large university in Arizona, I won't say which, but my friends and I were sharing a bottle of Jack the other night when we started sharing stories. Somehow we got on the subject of spooky stories, and it appeared that several of us had a strange occurrence to talk about. Gabriel told us about a weird apartment he and his mother had lived in when they lived in West Virginia. Apparently, his mother had woken him up screaming one night after a dark figure had appeared over her bed and woken her up leering. He had come in to find it melting away into nothing, and the two of them had moved out shortly after. John had told them about a weird deer he'd seen on a hunting trip, and I told them about some sounds I had heard outside my parents' house in Montana throughout my childhood. One of dad's friends, he was a zoologist or something, said they didn't sound like any animal he was familiar with. Dad jokingly asked him if it was a Bigfoot or something, and he never really denied it. He got spooky quiet and just said he wouldn't be caught dead in those woods after dark. We never went camping out there anyway but certainly never went past the property line after that. I passed the bottle to Samuel, and, for once, he actually took a sip. Samuel, Sam for short, had been living in the dorm since before I arrived at the university. He was in his third year and was studying engineering as he worked towards his bachelor's degree. He had told us several stories about growing up in a small town in Mexico and had his uncle to thank for his current status as a student. His uncle was a professor of Spanish studies and antiquities, and he had offered to help his nephew get a student visa so he could do more than drink shitty beer in the local bar and do manual labor his whole life. I opened by saying that it was weird to see Samuel drink, but I don't think you understand how strange. Samuel was our permanent designated driver because in the two years I had known him, I had never so much as seen him touch a bottle of alcohol unless it was to throw it away or take it from us after we'd had enough. He took a moment to collect his thoughts before saying in a hollow voice, I told you all that I grew up in Mexico? We all nodded, and he continued. Well, I grew up in this rural little town outside of Hermosillo. It wasn't large, maybe 8,000 people in the whole town, and most of our work came from the processing plant or from the farms that operated around the small town. 
My mother and I lived there with my abuela and my abuelo, my uncle living in America and sending money home when he could. My abuelo was a horse breeder, something my family has practiced for generations, and he worked as a stockman for one of the ranches in the area. We weren't quite as well off as the rancher, but we were doing okay. It wasn't a bad life. It was hard but not without its pleasures. When I was in high school, my friends and I would often go to parties held at the local farms. The rancher's son, Santiago, and I had been friends since we were young, and we hung around with some of the ranch hand's sons, Juan, Christopher, and Mateo. We were good friends, probably the best friends I ever had, but one night, we found something that none of us had ever quite believed in. We had all grown up with the stories about La Llorona and El Silbon, but my mother always loved to use a certain legend to scare me. La Lechuso was a witch who turned herself into some sort of owl demon after her death. She was said to roam the land, hunting for drunks or just children out late at night. She would make noises in the night to trick you into opening your window so she could steal your eyes. She would pretend to be a baby to lure you into the woods. She could create thunderstorms and other nasty things and would come to get naughty children if they acted out. La Lechusa was used a lot in my home to get us to do things, like chores or homework, that we really didn't want to do. By the time I was a teenager, I was kind of done with my mom's scary stories about owl ladies. I was much more interested in drinking with my friends and meeting girls. I was 16 when she caught me on the way out the door. I know where you go on these nights. I beg you not to go out drinking with your friends. I brushed her off, though, saying I was of age, and if I wanted to go hang out with my friends, then I would. And if La Lechusa should happen across your group? I scoffed, telling her that her stories didn't scare me anymore. That story is what killed your father. She started to say, but I cut off. Dad had died in a drunk driving accident before I was born. He had driven off the road and hit a tree, his car erupting in a ball of fire. There hadn't been anything left to bury, but mom had insisted that it had been La Lechusa who had driven him off the road. This had made me even scareder of the creature when I was a kid, but now it just made me mad that she would use my father's death like this. I left without another word, climbing into Santiago's car as it pulled away for the last time. She was standing in the road, crying, as we drove off. That image will be scared into my brain until the day I die. We were out late. I couldn't tell you much about the party, just that it was in someone's barn. The beer was hot, the woman lukewarm, and the music was subpar at best. I drank too much, trying to get the fight with my mom, and by the time we called it a night, I was well and truly drunk. We climbed into Santiago's car, all of us laughing and tipsy. We started out, Santiago managing to keep it on the road as we hooped and whooped in the back seat. He was laughing along with us, turning the music up on the radio, but when he swerved suddenly, we all screamed like banshees. He hauled up back on the road, Mateo opening the window to vomit, and I leaned up as I asked him what was wrong. He looked pale, all the tipsy scared out of him as he stammered, I thought there was an old lady in the road, but when she turned, her body looked wrong, I said how weird it was to see someone so old out that late when I suddenly yelled for him to look. Something was in the road, and if it was what he had seen before, 
he had been absolutely right. It was hunched over, a long cloak over its shoulders, and it looked deformed. It turned to look at the car as it barreled forward, and I could see piercing red eyes that bore into my soul. I saw it all in the space of five seconds, maybe, but I'll see those eyes till the day I die. Santiago never had a chance to do anything, and we plowed into her doing about 55. The car suddenly stopped dead, and I came to about a minute later. I had boffed my head pretty good on the seat, but one look at Santiago told me I had gotten off lucky. He had slammed into the windshield, breaking his neck and turning his skull into a rotten gourd. The others seemed to be okay, but the car was smoking, and we climbed out as we assessed the damage. The whole front end was smashed in like we had struck a tree or a big rock, but nothing was in the road to be hit. I remembered the old lady and moved off to check the ditches, thinking maybe we had knocked her off the road. The others just milled around, not sure what to do, and that's when it happened. The moon was full that night, or I may very well have missed it. A shadow passed over me, a thing with a wingspan like a condor, and I looked up just in time to see it drop onto my friends as they huddled around the car. It had landed on Juan, breaking his back and riding him to the ground. He screamed, his screams watery and miserable. He wouldn't scream for long, though. The bird dropped its head and began to feed on him, its beak plunging and diving as the other two backed away in horror. When it looked up, face dripping blood and owl eyes glaring at me, I ran. I didn't know if the other two ran at that time, but I felt like a mouse who's seen an owl. I ran, still drunk and weaving, and the houses swam up in my peripherals. I could still hear that wet, crunching sound as the creature fed, and I stumbled as my feet hit a root. I kept running, kept moving, kept showing my heels as the houses wobbled like an oil painting. I just kept running, knowing that my house couldn't be far, not noticing the lack of night sounds around me as I ran. When that unearthly screech split the night, I panicked and turned a corner at random. When my foot hit the pothole, I thought for sure I was going to die. My world suddenly exploded with light, and I stumbled back on my hands and butt as a bright something nearly blinded me. I turned, putting my back to those blinding lights, and saw a horror in descent. The headlights spotlighted the owl thing, and as it swooped down on me, I figured this was the end. I closed my eyes, put a hand up to my face, and prepared to die. That's when I heard my mom yelling at the thing. She came out of the car shouting curses and brandishing a cross on a long silver chain. The owl monster flapped its wings, changing its course and taking off. It screeched loudly, flapping its wings angrily as it took flight again. My mother helped me into the car, and I must have passed out because I woke up in my bed the next morning. I would have believed it was a dream if my mother hadn't told me as she sat at the breakfast table with a plate of food and a pot of coffee. She told me all of it. How the creature had killed my dad one night as he walked home drunk. How Santiago and Juan had been found dead that morning. How my other friends had never arrived home. She spelled it all out for me and told me how lucky I was to be alive. She said I had been given a chance and that it was up to me to figure out how to use it. She wasn't happy with my answer after I'd thought about it for a few days, but she understood. I still went to those parties but I never drank again. Instead, 
I helped people get home safely. I never saw that creature again, but there were nights that I imagined I could feel its hateful stare. I was taking its prey from it, stealing its food, and it never quite forgave me for that. Not a day goes by that I don't think about that night and my friends who died. We sat around, drinking as we listened to his story, a cold chill flowing through us as he told his tale. I'd say this was the end, but it wouldn't do him justice if I did. Three weeks ago, Samuel came to me in tears and told me that his mother was going to die. I sat him down, he was shaking like a leaf and asked him how he could possibly know this? Before that, I hadn't seen him in class for a few days, and he looked tired and rattled. I was in my mother's house, the one she has on my grandparents' property, and I heard her crying. I walked into the living room, and there she was, sitting at the kitchen table. I walked up behind her, putting a hand on her shoulder and asking what was wrong? She grabbed my arm then, and her hand had become clawed. Her head turned around she screeched at me through the owl beak. Her face had become that of the owl witch, and just before I wake up, she screams my mother's name. I asked him what that meant, and he said, some people say that seeing her in a dream means that someone you love will die. She screamed my mother's name. I can't ignore that. Three days later, he told me he was returning to his hometown for her funeral. They. They found her in her room. She'd had a heart attack. I need to go home and say goodbye. Will you watch my plants while I'm away? I told him I would, but I think he knew he wasn't coming back. A week ago, I asked his uncle if there was news. He only sighed and told me his nephew was missing. My mother tells me that he went to the house he and his mother had shared, and no one had seen him since. We don't know where he is, but if you're still watering his plants, I'll go pick them up this afternoon. Hopefully, I can give them back to him when he comes back. I don't know what became of Sam, but I pray that the owl witch, Lala Chusa, didn't get him. I never saw the thing but I could smell it and hear it. We had just moved to the Mount Hood National Forest. I worked in Portland and drove 38 miles each way, 5 to 7 days a week. It was around March. I came home around 2 am and had fallen asleep on the couch. The porch light was on. There are two doors in the front of my house, one enters into the living room and the other one enters into the laundry room. We have a carport that covers the laundry room entrance and at the time we had no cover for the front door of the living room. That's the door we always used. This entrance is closer to the embankment that goes up to Highway 26. You can see the tops of trucks going into town from the deck that you stand on to enter the door that is the closest to the side of the house. 23 years ago we used that as our primary entrance. Anyway, that changed after this night. I pulled in the long driveway and saw nothing out of the ordinary. But when I exited the vehicle I caught the smell of something that just wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite a skunk or a smelly musky bear but more of a dead rotting odor that was overpowering. Then I heard a grunt sound that I've never heard before or since. It scared me. I know the local wildlife. I grew up here and spent lots of time in the outdoors. I was standing alone in the dark near the forest. The light was just a 60-watt light bulb. I had no gun on me. 
I was trying to open the door but my hands were shaking and I dropped my keys. Meanwhile, menacing sounds started emanating from the forest. I was banging on the door, screaming for my wife to open up. It was hiding in the dark about three quarters of the way up the bank. From behind the house I could hear branches snap and heavy footsteps. The sheer speed and size of this thing was evident even though I couldn't see it. It had covered the distance of maybe 40 yards in an instant while snapping branches and muttering something I couldn't understand. 